As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It's Thursday morning, and it's not, uh, just continuing the theme of 2020, it's not often you wake up on a Thursday morning to news that a new game has been added to the schedule, and it's a really great game. Uh, Coastal Carolina was set to host game day this week, and they were going to play Liberty, which also would have been a pretty decent game. Liberty, unfortunately had a big COVID outbreak. They had to cancel or pull out. And lo and behold, Coastal and BYU got together and made this contingency plan. And now, Bruce, we've got two undefeated teams meeting Saturday, New Year's Six uh, implications. You know, I I, I, w- I was not rooting for Liberty to, to get bad test results by any means. You don't want anybody to, to get COVID. But the upshot of it is we actually got a better game. Yeah, I, I think in some ways this, as much as any game we've had, kind of encapsulizes uh, and epitomizes the 2020 college football season. The fact that this game was basically thrown together in the last 48 hours. Um, you know, you have coaches from, from BYU who are basically doing a crash course study on Coastal, and now vice versa, it's happening. And on top of it, it's probably the most interesting game of the of the weekend. In we're in, it's early December. I was going to say late November, but yeah, we're in early December, late in the year. And to me, this is the most compelling matchup of the weekend. Yeah, the most compelling match of the weekend is going to be on ESPNU at five thirty Eastern. Now, obviously, we're going to watch Ohio State, Michigan State, Texas A and M, Auburn. I will watch at least the beginning of Bama LSU before it gets too ugly. But, yeah, this is fascinating uh, because of all the, I mean, the, the storyline of BYU and the committee not showing them any respect. And, um, you know, when I did my bowl projections on Tuesday, um, I put Iowa State as the last New Year's Six team, even if, even if they have three losses. Because based on what the committee was saying about BYU's schedule, just didn't see them passing them. But, you know, they have Coastal Carolina ranked number 18. 
I hope this is not a. It should be enough. It should that, and if they beat San Diego State, I hope it's not a situation where if BYU beats them convincingly, now suddenly it's that Coastal wasn't good to begin with. I mean, if you think they're a top twenty team and BYU beats them, and certainly beats if they beat them handily, to me that's uh, that's the sign that you should have BYU higher, and you know, God forbid you move them ahead of Georgia, two loss. Georgia with zero quality wins. Um, you know, anything's possible, I guess. So, Stu, walk me through this, um, how you see it. So, I'm sitting there looking at Cincinnati, who's been one of the most impressive teams in the country, has a couple of top 25 wins. Uh, we'll play at Tulsa, who is now a top 25 team in a week. How, if it's from a New Year's Six standpoint, what? How does this play out between if Cincinnati keeps winning and if BYU keeps winning? So they can both make it because BYU is not um, not a group of five team. They're not competing for that uh, automatic berth that that goes to the highest group of five champion. Uh, if Cincinnati Cincinnati kind of controls its destiny in that regard, I mean Cincinnati the, the 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 if it goes the other way, if Coastal Carolina wins, then Coastal Carolina puts itself in a position. I don't think they would pass Cincinnati unless Cincinnati loses, but they would suddenly become like the, you know, the clear next in line. They would separate themselves from from Marshall. Um, BYU just needs to get ranked high enough. And if we assume that the Pac-12 champ is going to be outside the top 12, I think the highest Pac-12 team this week was 19th or 20th. Um, then you know, 12 spots. One of them's outside the top 12, so BYU needs to get to 11. They're 13, so I think it's reasonable to think that uh, a top 25 win would do it. So let's flip it, though. Let's say if Coastal Carolina, which was all set to play a good Liberty team, uh, now is pivoting to play Zach Wilson and BYU, if they win that game, wouldn't they Wouldn't they also be in the New York Six same spot, potentially, if you're the committee and if you're evaluating this? You mean like would Coastal jump high enough? Yeah, like, I mean, look at it this way. I think one of the things that, that that Coastal is dealing with is similar to BYU. They just don't have the brand name wins. If you're saying BYU is a legit top 15 team, which you and I both think they're probably even more than that, but if they were to win this game, it's really short notice for them too. Um, why would they not? Like, to me, beating BYU is, you know, you, you and I both talked about Georgia. It's not just Georgia, but... Beating, being undefeated and beating BYU is way more impressive than Georgia sitting there at number eight with no good wins and two blowout losses and also you know having their hands full with arguably the worst team in the SEC with 40 scholarship guys. Well, you don't have to sell me on it. Coastal, I mean, keep in mind, if we were using the AP rankings, which we basically don't once the CFP starts coming out, this would be number eight versus number 14. You know, not number 13 versus number 18. Um, I think that Coastal, okay, let's say, let's play it out. They beat, uh, they beat, they win this game. Obviously, I would put them above. Here's some of the teams that are above them right now. Six and three, North Carolina. Two and one, Wisconsin. Six and two, Oklahoma State. Five and one, Northwestern. Five and one, Indiana. Um, You know, I think they would move up several spots. Unfortunately, we're seeing this year more than ever with the committee that they're, I feel like they're, they're setting ceilings on people based on what conference they're in. 
And so would they really put a Sunbelt team in the top 10 or close to the top 10? Keep in mind, they didn't have Louisiana is 8-1. and one. They beat Iowa State, who's now the number 9 team. Handily. 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 And they weren't even in their top 25 last week. They moved. They are number 25 now. Coastal beat them. They'll have to beat them again in the conference championship game. So, you know, you're talking about possibly three wins over top 25 teams. Um, it seems like I, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on them. Actually, I wouldn't have faith in them to put a Sunbelt team in the top 12. But you're right. I mean, for all we've hyped up BYU this year, I feel like Coastal's kind of gotten um, overlooked. And I don't... I think one of the reasons I'm uh, I've been so high on Coastal from the beginning is that Kansas game. As strange as that is to say, Kansas is, is awful, but it was that first week when not a lot of teams were playing, and it, it was night. It was the only game on, and and remember, this is a team that was picked to finish last in its division. This wasn't Appalachian State coming off the season they had last year, and it was just they were so clearly better than Kansas now. Everybody's blown out Kansas this year. But from that moment forward, I've been keeping a close eye on them. Grayson McCall is great. I love that offense that they run. BYU opened out as a 10-point favorite in this game, and I would agree. I think that, you know, you've got Zach Wilson, uh, uh, who's now being – Dane Brugler now has him as the second quarterback taken uh, in the draft. Great offensive line. Um, you know, nobody – granted, it's the competition to some degree, but – Defense hasn't had a bad game all year. I think they're the better team. The question is, I mean, there's this is such a bizarre situation that they're, you know, they're going to travel. That they have basically 48 hours or so to get ready for this game. They're going to travel in there. Like, how which staff is going to do a better job scouting their opponent and then getting their team ready on such short notice? I think it's even like it's hard for BYU. I think it's even probably harder if you're coastal. In this regard, like like one of the BYU coaches that I was texting with uh, as we're taping this Thursday morning, was texting with them late last night and then this morning. And basically, it's like, you know, we're staying up till 5 a.m. and then take a nap and we're back at it and three hours later. And it's just like, how do you go about doing it? It's just like, you know, I'm watching all the films of all their situations because I want to work situational stuff on Thursday. And then... You know, just you go through their base plays and everything else that they're trying to sort out. If you're if you're coastal, you, you know, like BYU was technically off. It wasn't like they were preparing for a game. They have San Diego State uh, in ten days. Whereas coastal, it's like Liberty's good. I mean, and that's like you go from that all of a sudden, and now it's like, well, we don't think they're gonna play, but they, you know, as we reported at the Athletic. They basically got hit with this on Sunday and were down to one defensive staffer all week. So it was Hugh Freeze trying to help out on the defensive side of the ball, which is not, you know, his his background, and one defensive coach. And that was before they had um, another round of double-digit positives. So it's just, just kind of a crazy situation. Um, you know, I want to pivot a little bit to this. You mentioned the CFP, uh, the CFP show uh what we saw last tuesday which was kind of became interesting for a different reason um i wanted to get your thoughts obviously kirk herbstreet who we both know pretty well and and, and respect and have known him for a long time 
had some very interesting comments that he eventually, uh, after the show, apologized for. Uh, what What did you think? Because I saw you tweeting about this. What did you think seeing it and hearing it in real time? Well, we were all kind of watching it. Uh, you know, we were all watching it together virtually and hitting the Slack channel. And it was just like, did he really just go there? I, I can't, you know, it was so, it was so jarring to see. And keep in mind, like, if you were watching it, at first, he threw out the Michigan could cancel it, you know, could could wave the white flag. Reese Davis then gave him, like, teed him up to walk it back. He's like, I mean, he was basically begging him. He was like, if you're being facetious, that's okay. But, you know, it was almost like, please, please tell America that you were kidding. Nope. He went even further down that road. I mean, this is kind of speaks to something that, that comes up every so often. Um, I mean, I don't mean to rag on Kirk. Uh, but, you know, he had that infamous um, time he tried to be a uh, he tried to be like you and break something and about less miles going to Michigan. And, and that blew up like these guys aren't journalists. They're they're commentators. They are. Believe me, they are. I mean, Kirk Herbstreet is is a better game analyst than I could ever hope to be. Um, but he's not a trained journalist. And so I think when he said, like, I talked to coaches and they they think that that. Um, these teams are using COVID to duck out of games. Well, you know, you talk to coaches. I talk to coaches. Coaches have all kinds of conspiracy theories. Like, they're constantly telling you who they think is cheating. But then you, that doesn't mean we, we go on TV and say, I've talked to coaches, and they said such and such is cheating. And, you know, you, that's a big accusation to throw out there without a shred of evidence. And so, obviously, he realized his mistake, and he walked it back. But... Um, I mean, Ward Manuel, Michigan's AD, didn't 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 let it go. That's for sure. I mean, he he had quite the scorching statement the next day, a video statement on on how upset he was about it. Um, it's certainly now it creates this situation where I mean, Michigan does have a real COVID situation. They had to cancel their game this week, and whenever that happens in the Big Ten, you have to wonder if they're going to have to cancel next week. If they do, if they end up having to cancel the Ohio State game. I mean, now Kirk has put that narrative out there and people are probably going to seize on it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, one thing that I think is is interesting from this standpoint, uh, Michigan, along with a bunch of other schools, and and there's been a there's been limited transparency, and it depends on you know which school is which. Some have been more transparent than others. Some haven't been transparent at all. In Michigan's case, they have been uh, announcing positive cases 
but athletic department wide, not football specific. And what I, uh, talking to people at the University of Michigan, that decision came has come from their medical experts. So even if that uh, leadership in the athletic department or in the football program feels now like compelled or feels like given Kirk's comments and where this went on ESPN's biggest platform, that it might be uh, in their best interest to put out their football numbers now, especially as you said, they've, they've had to cancel this weekend's game against Maryland. I think it becomes, you know, it still comes back to whether their medical experts are comfortable with that. And so, you know, I think that it's a really, it's a really weird situation. I mean, all the way around. And I don't know what changes it, um, you know, because even if Michigan were to release numbers that were football specific, I'm sure there's going to be a chunk of people who are going to believe what they want to believe, right? And it's, it's a juicier story this way. And Kirk went there and he went there on, you know, again, like I have a lot of respect for Kirk. I think he, as you said, does a terrific job with what he's doing. I was surprised that, that he went there, um, especially in that format and in the way he did. Um, because I, you know, that's the kind of thing where you could hear, you would, it wouldn't surprise you to hear that on a talk radio show. Um, and I think, or on a message board, or maybe people floating it on Twitter. It's just like, you know, I think that's what was different about it. And, you know, I thought his apology, you know, hit all the right notes, but it's even still, it's just, you know, you can't kind of unring that bell after it's out there like that. Yep. And I saw this coming a mile away. I mean, if you're not going to be transparent about this, you're just opening yourself to, I mean, I mean, look at like Clemson, Florida State, like you're, you're opening yourself to accusations of gamesmanship and whatnot. And um, I mean, look, Ohio State, they haven't been transparent. They haven't told us what the numbers were that caused them to cancel the Illinois game other than Gene Smith saying they could have played. They, it wasn't that like they were under the um, well, actually the Big Ten doesn't do the roster minimum. They do the percent positive and they hadn't hit that, um, but they chose not to play. And so, obviously, we know Ohio State, the situation where if they get one more game canceled, they can't play in the Big Ten Championship unless they change the rule. And I'm sure that if Michigan can't play, the Ohio State fans are going to be furious. The Michigan is ducking us. They're, they're screwing us over. And it's like, well, it was your choice not to play the Illinois game. You know, maybe if you had told us the numbers, we would have been like, oh, yeah, that's probably for the best. But we have no idea. So... They should have been transparent about this from the beginning. Nobody's, um, to be clear, nobody's HIPAA or FERPA uh, rights are being violated by telling the numbers. Yes, if you said the names of the players without their permission, that would be breaking the law. But you can say 14 positive cases in the football program. Um, and, and schools do it. Minnesota has been giving us the exact numbers. So, um, But they didn't do that. And it's all over the map, and it's leaving you know this kind of stuff, especially this late in the season. By the way, that we should, real quick on the Kirk apology, it kind of he, you know he didn't just apologize; he he explained kind of like what his mindset is, and you can tell like he's really struggling, and I think a lot of us are with what this season has turned into. I mean, his his big thing was he was seemed very frustrated that that guys are opting out this late in the season that their, their, their season didn't go the way they wanted it to. And 
so they're done. Um, we saw that at Texas this week. Uh, he's frustrated about that. Um, games getting canceled left and right. You know, it definitely the the end stretch of this season has become very uncomfortable, and everybody's just trying to get to it, get to the finish line. Um, so I get that, but uh, you know, it, it, that's that's where we are. Um, I, I not to speak for him, but I I do think there's a part, and I I see this to some degree as well, where like you feel college football is our sport, right? And you know, you may not we a specific team, but you will in you know in your mind maybe see it that way. Like there's a there's a kind of um, an aspect of that, and I I can't. It doesn't surprise me that players are opting out, especially when their seasons are falling apart. I think in part because this has probably been so grueling for a lot of for a lot of them to have been asked to have a different level of accountability than they've ever been asked. And it's just been exhausting on a lot of fronts. I mean, there's just been so much stuff that has been out there. And so um, does this mean it's going to be like uh, players opting out of bowls and that started something or players jumping in the portal? Maybe. Um, I don't think I would expect to see players who are freshmen then say, all right, I'm done. I have one year of film and I'm just going to get ready for the draft. But I do think that... uh, you know, it, I think, as you said, I think a lot of people are dealing with with frustrations and they're coming out in different ways. And um, I just think sometimes when people have, have bigger platforms and they just kind of are just speaking freely, some of that frustration is going to, it starts to seep out. And I think people, you know, picked up on it. I mean, yeah, when you looked at, at, at his, his apology, it was not a 20 second apology. It was, it sem- you know, it felt like it was... It was from the heart, and I think you saw some of that stuff that he, I think he was working through. Um, you know, not to go too far down down that rabbit hole, but I just think that right now there's just a lot of people who are who are very angsty. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of reasons to be angsty. I mean, I, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that, I mean, okay, just just case in point about. I hope people appreciate. Let's go turn on total tangent. I hope people out there appreciate just the lengths that these players and these staffs are going through to be able to make this season happen. You know, we have had a thing here in my backyard where uh, the county, Santa Clara County, came out with this, you know, much. we're having a big surge. They came out with this more restrictive um, directive, and it specifically outlawed college and pro contact sports. So the 49ers have had to relocate to Arizona. And now Stanford had to, I mean, they can't play here. So a, this is a college team, not a pro team. And they did catch a little bit of a break that their semester, in between semesters. But they have to just basically go be on the road for three weeks. They're, they're in Seattle this week. They'll play the game. Um, they'll, then, they'll, then they'll move to Corvallis, Oregon for the week. I mean, th- th- that's quite a sacrifice that people are making. Coaches are leaving their families for three weeks to be able to finish this season. And... You know, on the one hand, it's, I mean, they, they don't, they're not complaining about it. They get to play college football. Like, this is what they want to do. If they wanted to shut down, they could. But it is really, when you think about some of the lengths these teams are going through to make this, to just get this season in, uh, it's, I just think once the dust settles, there's going to be some unbelievable stories about what, what a lot of these people went through. 
Well, you, you have situations right now. I mean, I think there was almost 7,000 cases in L.A. County alone. I mean, if you're UCLA, you're going to um, play Arizona State. You may not be coming back. You may be, hey, are we going to pack for a day? Are we going to relocate to to Arizona to finish out our season? I mean, that, that's a very real possibility. And I don't know if your players, how much you, you just kind of, you just kind of go with what you're told. But I think that's something that, you know, is on some folks radar that that's a, that's a real possibility. I mean, look, there's been conversations that I'm, I've heard in the Pac-12 as it relates to the Pac-12 championship game, right? It's supposed to be the champ from the, from the North against the champ from the South. Well, if the champ from one of those sides can't go, they're just going to bump up. There's talk about just bumping up the number two team to take their place. And that would be it. I mean, this is kind of what 2020 on the fly has been. And and I don't, it's not a Big Ten issue. It's not a Pac-12 issue. It's not a, you know, a Sunbelt issue. It's been just, the, it's just sports in 2020 as everybody's trying to do the best they can. And I give a lot of credit to, like, you know, I asked uh, David Shaw on his Zoom call, you know, are you, how frustrated are you? you? You know, nobody else has been asked to do something like this. You know, teams in the SEC aren't having to relocate for three weeks uh, and and haven't frankly had to deal with a lot of the restrictions that they had to deal with and just in being able to practice. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't do me any good to be frustrated. You know, we want to play football. If this is what they're saying we have to do, that's what we're going to do. And that's been the attitude mostly around the country. There hasn't been... A lot of the, you know, in a normal year where the coaches would be obsessed with, well, that's not fair. That that team's getting an advantage. You know, we're being put at a disadvantage. Haven't heard a lot of that. Now, there was a situation this week, though, that's interesting. Um, the ACC, you know, we were waiting to find out, are they going to make Clemson play Florida State? Because Dabo had made it quite clear they don't want to go back there. Um and the tw- December 12th would be the time to do it. Are they going to make them play? If they don't, and Clemson gets a week off before the ACC championship, how ticked is Notre Dame going to be that they do have to play? And in the end, the ACC came up with a solution to please everybody. Neither team has to play on the 12th. They're basically, they basically changed the rule and said that those two in Miami, who are the only remaining contenders, We'll just determine who the two teams are based on their first nine games. Or in Clemson and Notre Dame's case, they're only nine games. And, you know, if Clemson, went, Notre Dame clinched it. Notre Dame then clinches its its spot based on that. And if Clemson wins this week, they'll clinch. And if they lose and Miami wins, Miami will be in. So, um, and everybody was kind of like, at least on Twitter, was like, oh, that was smart thinking by them. You know, it, it, it helps their chance of getting two teams in the playoff. Greg Sankey didn't look at it that way, the SEC commissioner. Uh, his, his Florida and Alabama, they're going to play their full schedule, and he called them out. He, he was not happy that they basically changed their rules on the fly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I mean, to play devil's advocate, 
a lot of other conferences have looked at the SEC and Greg Sankey's conference and said, you know what, you guys play more uh, non-conference games than pretty much everybody else. You also have typically a cupcake game in November to kind of catch your breath. So it's not like it's been, you know, he can be, he can be chafed that it's happening on the fly, but a lot of stuff is happening on the fly and how things are working and things are never uniform. You know, it's like, I think he would have more of a leg to stand on if they were, if they were not playing less non-conference games than everybody and they were not, you know, playing a, often a one double A opponent. You're talking about in normal years. In normal years, correct. Yeah, I mean, the, the irony is that this is the year where they, they not only, uh, you know, after years and years of resisting going to nine conference games, they, they went to 10. They're playing a 10-game conference schedule, um, which the ACC was going to be doing as well, and I think that's what he's upset about. But, yeah, I mean, after years of them, I don't want to say gaming the system, but basically, um, you know, they, they, they didn't take on the ninth game. They do do those November unofficial bye weeks and it's never cost them anything to that to now be upset that the ACC is trying to do something like that I mean I think everybody has just accepted that you're this season is is what it is you know people are making up the rules on the fly I mean I'll tell you this much if Ohio State can't play Michigan next week and if that's going to cost them a spot in the Big Ten title game um, I mean you absolutely need to give them another game and now they might be regretting uh, the the denying Nebraska the chance to play the non-conference game. But, you know, I would assume somebody else will be available in the Big Ten next week. Minnesota, you know, what are the chances they're going to be able to play? Uh, They're supposed to play Nebraska. If Minnesota can't go, do you just have Ohio State play Nebraska again just so they can get to the minimum? Because forget fairness, forget uh, whatever. Like, that team is fighting for a playoff spot. You need to give them the best chance to do it. That is an interesting theory. Um, you know, I'd be curious as to how much the committee would look and say, okay, you, you've, you got six games. But again, if they were to play Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska's one in four now. You beat a team that's one in six. Like, Nebraska's one in four. Let's say if they lose at Purdue t- tomorrow and can't play. So you'd beat a team that was one in six that you've beaten twice. I mean, essentially, what what uh, Ohio State would be up against is yeah, they would have a handful of games, but aside from their win against a good Indiana team, um, their schedule is going to be really, really uh, watery. I mean, let's say that that were to happen. So you'd have two wins over a one in six Nebraska team. You'd have beaten a Penn State team that is right now one in five. You would have beaten a Rutgers team, which was probably the best team they would have played, who is two and four. And is that all? That's it, right? Oh, Michigan. If they play Michigan State this week, Michigan State is two and three. They would be two and four. Well, keep in mind, if they did play the team they're supposed to play next week, that also wouldn't help their resume, right? Beating up it on would not. Michigan, it would so, not because they're 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 a two and. I, I'm no, just referring to I, I, what I'm getting referring to, just for full context, is I noticed the on both on ESPN and on the teleconference that Gary Barta, the committee chairman, unsolicited, made several references to the fact that it's they're finding it. He said, frankly, it's a problem 
the difference in the number of games that they're having to deal with. And to me, that was like almost a, like a warning sign that, you know, we're, we're keeping Ohio State number four for now, but man, it is getting harder and harder to justify it. He talked about how they debated flipping Ohio State and Texas A&M. And I think, honestly, if Texas A&M had looked better against LSU, they probably would have. I think they felt like they couldn't do it based off a game where their offense was so bad. Um, so I don't think Ohio State can afford to lose another game. Forget about whether they get into the Big Ten title game or not. Just they need more data points, even if it's beating up on a bad team. So um, there is one other domino you could do if that I, I was looking at it. Because, look, the SEC has shown you can just shuffle games around. The Pac-12 has created matchups at the last second. What you could do if you don't want them to play Nebraska a second time is have have them play um, Maryland, a game that they were supposed to have played. Maryland's playing Rutgers. Have Nebraska play Rutgers. Um, that means that Maryland and Rutgers wouldn't play each other, and that's supposed to be a great rivalry. But, um, look, the ACC kind of set the precedent, in my opinion. They went and did something that was completely about protecting their, their playoff candidates. So I wouldn't blame the Big Ten if they want to do that for Ohio State. Gary Barta has quickly become the king of the backhanded compliment, I feel like, when it comes to these things. It's like, he, you know, if, if Gary Barta was, was your boss, he would be like, yeah, Bob is a really hard worker, and Bob is very conscientious. But nobody wants to be in the car with Bob because he has flatulence problems. <laughs> you know, it'd be like, it's like he'll give you one sentence of like basically of a, of a bulletin board thing, and then all of a sudden it's like he's going to cut somebody down at the knees. I like Gary Barta as chairman compared to some of the past chairmans we've had. Chairman we've had who don't say anything. He's actually pretty candid. Uh, he mentions specific players' names. He was talking about um, Iowa State and why they moved them up, and he's like, "Brock Purdy, man, he's just a winner." And Brees Hall, he's one of the best running backs in the country. Um, Ohio State, he keeps referring to all their firepower with Justin Fields and and Garrett Wilson. Um, so now. Does that mean that I agree with all their decisions? No. He hasn't given me one good reason why he's got Georgia as high as he does, but I shouldn't say he. The committee does. He's speaking for the committee. Um, but, yeah, compared to – I mean, Kirby Hocutt was the chairman for two years. I don't think he said a single revealing thing the entire time. Shout out to, to the athletic directors at BYU and Coastal Carolina for making this happen at the last second. Uh, shout out to the BYU equipment guys who got loaded up the truck – I think late Wednesday night and headed on a 2,500 mile drive to Conway, South Carolina. Um, just a just a very 2020 storyline that's playing out, but it will make this weekend that much more fun. We'll see you next time.